Interrupt the Disability podcast. Here, we will learn to advocate for ourselves and each other. This podcast is supported with funds from the Advocato Press, based in Louisville, Kentucky. Marissa Roderick was born and raised in Louisville, Kentucky. She had six foster homes but only remembers one of them. She currently works at the American Printing House for the Blind in the proofreading department as a copy holder. She said it's literally a dream come true. She gets paid to read. She said she has a wonderful better half named Josh, who has retinitis pigmentosa. They have Josh's German Shepherd guide dog Inca, and a beloved tripod cat named Izzy. Marissa holds a Bachelor's of Science in Psychology and American Sign Language from Eastern Kentucky University. She is a strong ally and advocate for individuals who are deafblind. Rick Roderick said he started out as a Hoosier, being born in Richmond, Indiana, and later moving to Martinsville. When his parents wanted him to be able to live at home during grade and high school, they moved to Normal, Illinois, where his dad got a job at what is now Illinois State University. During grade and high school, the schools had resource rooms, where Rick got the help and support he needed to attend school. He attended the University of Illinois, obtaining a bachelor's degree in psychology and a master's degree in counseling. He then got a Master of Divinity at Louisville Presbyterian Theological Seminary in 1975. He worked for 10 years as a rehab counselor and for 18 as an assistive technology specialist for the Kentucky Blindness Agency. He married Carol in 1978, and they adopted Marissa in 1985 when she was 16 months old. Welcome Rick Roderick and Marissa Roderick to the Demand and Disrupt podcast. How are you guys doing? Oh, I'm just fine. I'm good. Good, good, good. Having having a good weekend. (laughs) Excellent. Excellent. Um, Rick, you have been around a long time. You are a staple in the disability community, at least in uh, Kentucky, but I know I've heard your name mentioned on a podcast from Mosin at Large, who is a New Zealander. So you certainly do get around. Well, that I, I, he, he will send out emails bringing up questions or things he must discuss, and I replied a couple of times to those. Excellent. Excellent. You've got a, a lot of good advice. I, I remember uh, being at the McDowell Center before it was even called the McDowell Center, and you were teaching me how to use a computer, and that would have been a very long time ago, back in the 90s. So <laughs> it is good to get to talk to you again. So tell me about your story in, in the book. It, it, uh, getting Marissa into your life was kind of a long and winding road, wasn't it? Yes, it was. We, uh, we got into infertility treatments and Carol had had those for a while and nothing was happening. And, and you know, that, it, that, that just gets really expensive. And we finally said, we're giving up. And the adoption seed did not look good. You know, if you, if you just, if you put in for a child, if you want an infant, it, it just takes... It, it, it may be years if you get one at all. And so we started listening to Wednesday's Child, but when I looked, which is a program on our CBS affiliate, and they bring up different, fam- different children and family groups, and they were older, uh, most of them, or there's more than one when there was a younger one. We thought that's not really what we feel we could handle. So... All of a sudden, on June 26, 1985, we hear an announcement that there's going to be a baby on, and that's that was highly unusual. But it never happened before, so uh, we listened, and we heard 
she's legally blind. You know, they kept stressing that. But, and then we, we both felt at the same time, that's her child. We were told that we, you know, we went into, I called the next day, we, we got into classes, we were told there's no assurance uh, that you will get this child, you, you'll get Marissa. So we, but we persevered. Uh, we tried, because of the uncertainty, we tried a private adoption that fell through. We also looked into another private adoption and Carol said to me, you know, well, why don't you call special needs and see where you are with that and see where we are. And so I did that. And they said, well, we'll, we'll, let's, we'll, we'll get back to you. I think we can make a decision pretty quickly. And her name was Joanne Harrison. And she called back and said, if you want her, she's yours. So that started the whole yeah. process of home visits. And she was supposed to say goodbye to her last foster family, where she was only briefly. The other one had some things come up and couldn't watch her. And so we, we, we never, she never got back to say goodbye to them because there was an, you know, a minor ice storm. And Carol said, I'm not going to the other end of the town. <laughs> and so at the day, so really December 12th, 1985 was that very special day. And maybe I've gone into too much detail here. Oh, no, no. It's a beautiful story. I was scared to death. I thought I might drop her. I might run into her and I'm not very good with babies, but it worked out. And, but, you know, as we got older, you know, I was able to do more and we, I used to read to her at night and I was able to help with things like, you know, college, college assignments. You know, I could sometimes, you know, look at something she'd written and come up with something that I think sounded a little better, whatever, but, we, we had those kind of things, and that, those are some of my memories. And Okay, I, I, that's, that's about all I have to say about that. <laughs> so, Marissa, you were a celebrity early on, right? Apparently. Um, and another rarity that I don't think happens too much is they did a follow-up segment later on from Wednesday's Child kind of, you know, seeing how we were after the whole process um, and seeing how well things were, you know, uh, thriving and surviving and whatnot. And they kind of segued into other Wednesday's child families after <laughs> that point. So, yeah, I, I was kind of a celebrity. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> so, so have you gone back and watched that? Like as an adult, you've gone back and watched those segments? I have. My aunt and uncle, they still have the videotapes. And yeah, they're like really old and scratchy, but they still work. And it's, it's adorable. But <laughs> I still remember some of the boys that I was playing with in the segment. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you are visually impaired. Mm-hmm, I am, and your dad is blind and has mm-hmm. hearing issues, right? Yep. What? What? I don't know. How, what's the best way for me to say that? Hard of hearing, deaf blind. I, I, I like hard of hearing. Hard but of hearing. Deaf blind okay. would, since the definition was broader than I thought it was. You know, I'm, I'm not totally deaf, but 
I have trouble with noise and basically people or things have to be close. You know, that's, that's how I would describe it. Yeah. Yeah. I understand. So Marissa, what was it like growing up with a dad or parent who was disabled? I don't think for the longest time ever, I don't think it really clicked with me that there was something off um, or different about my dad or my mom and anybody else's family. Like at, at some point I thought, okay, well, all dads have dogs and all moms <laughs> drive cars. And I remember a childhood friend of mine and I was just baffled because her dad was driving and she didn't have any dogs in her family. So I think that was the, the moment that kind of clued me in that maybe, okay, something is different. <laughs> I don't know when I became a daddy's girl, but I just kind of remember really early on suddenly having to help my dad. And I realized my mom could sort of kind of fend for herself. <laughs> <laughs> well, that came kind of gradually because, you, you know, for, when you were real little, and your mom was dominant, I would say, as far as like when there was something going on, you'd go, you, you, you would, when you felt stressed, you'd go to her. And then later on, you'd come to me, you know, when you got older. So did your dad Sad. teach you, teach you blind tricks, you know, like how to, I don't know, like read Braille or use screen reader, things like that? I always would kind of sit in his office and I knew his computer was talking and stuff, but he has it so fast or I couldn't understand mm -hmm. it. I just knew at some point, you know, he could slow it down. But I remember he, he did kind of teach me Braille, at least grade one, not the whole. Well, I got to tell you what, what I did. You know, this was a DOS computer. That was the first one I had. And it was one of a much more primitive synthesizer method. Would, she would write her name. And that at that time, she went by Molly. It's Mary Marissa. So she, anyways, I would have her. She could write Molly on the computer and then would say, my name is Molly Roderick. I go to friends for school. <laughs> <laughs> I do remember that. <laughs> <laughs> and then I would change, I would change the, uh, the DOS prompt, which it was then and to say something else that I had, it was say, you turkey, you turkey. <laughs> and I would switch it back. But <laughs> try so it, it sounds, it sounds like you two had fun with it. <laughs> we did. Oh yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Rick, I know you said in the beginning, you were afraid you might drop, you might drop her. Um, yeah, or, or things I, like that. I, or I might knock her over. I mean, going up and downstairs, I might knock her over. And fortunately, that never happened. And she's very resilient. I remember I used to play tricks on my dad and to see what I could get away with. I would act helpless, like I couldn't climb out of the crib. And he caught me climbing out of the crib one time. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I never forget what you had. I, I, would, I would always hand him stuff, whether it was things I should be handing or not. Like uh, to play a trick on him? 
give her. Uh-huh. I'll never forget when she, I, you know, I, I get cassette. I, I used to get cassettes from uh, the library, you know, talking books. And right. Yeah. One time she took one of them and, and unrolled it. Oh, never yeah. could get that thing back. <laughs> but I handed it to him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you didn't steal it or take it away. Either. <laughs> could you get the uh, the cassette tape ever reeled back up? No. <laughs> no. Because sometimes you could. I remember back when cassette tapes and sometimes if you, you know, accidentally got it. Sometimes if you worked real hard and were real patient, you could get them uh, all rolled back up. But. But now they don't use cassettes anymore. They, use, they don't. Uh, yeah, they're all electronic, so they really it's pretty much indestructible. And they yep. use cartridges for some, you know. But, but I usually just download them. So. Yes, that's what I do too, and I appreciate it because I can't can't tear tear up a cassette or lose a cassette or something anymore. Mm-hmm. Marissa, how was it going through school? Because all the people I, I've talked to about parents. Uh, with their kids, how was it going through school um, with your uh, visual impairment? I'm not going to lie. School was not uh, not always great. You know, I, I think the younger years, you know, K through five, etc. I think the teachers did try. Um, they didn't have a whole lot of experience or exposure with a visually impaired student. Um, so they weren't really sure how to attend to certain needs, you know, during class time, but there was a lot of parent teacher conferences and a lot of discussion that I remember my parents having and sitting down with the teachers. Well, this isn't going to work this way. Could you try it this way? Um, you know, sit in front of the classroom. Could you verbalize what you're writing on the board? Could she work with a lab partner? things of that nature. And I, I was bullied quite a bit by most of my peers <laughs> up until I would say college. College was the defining moment where I, f- I felt like I didn't have to fight to fit in. I didn't have to prove that I was smarter than, you know, my disability. I mean, I, I was just a person. They didn't care that I had a visual impairment. They wanted to hear about me what I wanted out of the class, why I was there in college, what my hopes and dreams were. So it it was nice to finally feel kind of, ah, you know, I could breathe. I could actually focus on my education. So when you were in school, there was, they didn't mainstream kids, right? That's what they call it. I was mainstream. Oh, you were? Okay. Okay. I was Okay, I was original. I we, I was living in Marshmansville, Indiana, where my dad taught taught music to high school students. He's taught both grade and high school, and, and by that time, born in Richmond, Indiana, and then moved to Martinsville. Then the, the, we looked at the Indiana School for the Blind, and you know I might have gone there, and that would that would have been if I if he'd stayed at that job, I would have. And then we ended up moving to normal Illinois, which is in the central part of Illinois, where Illinois State University is. And he got a job there teaching, you know, college students, eventually got his doctorate. We lived, they lived there the rest of their lives. And I lived there till I, you know, went to college and seminary and then that. And so that was my story. But 
Uh, I used, uh, I was in uh, uh, places, the, the grade school had a braille resource room in those days. I don't think it's been practiced since because there aren't as many of us, but the people who used braille and the people who used large print were in different resource rooms. And mm -hmm. so uh, that was also true when I was in Champaign. Illinois, where my dad was working on a on his doctorate at the University of Illinois, and, but but uh, then in, in high school the situation was a little different because we had a resource room for all disabilities, and I was in that just in, in the resource rooms. I was usually in there just a part of the day, but I spent most of my time in the regular classroom. And the resource room would. You know, they would help with uh, reading and sometimes I'd take tests there and, you know, things like that. But, and actually was in a fit, uh, in, I was in a, a, a high, a, a grade school that had a wing for people with different disabilities. And I, I had classes when I was younger with people with physical disabilities. It was a small class. It was almost like a one-room school. It had first through fourth grade. Then in fifth grade, I was in just a regular classroom, and I was when I came back. Uh, did you experience bullying when you were in school? Not a lot. I, I, there, there were a couple of kids, but I experienced it more I think the worst cases of bullying that I experienced were when I was, lived, you know, the, in the place in the student housing that we were in when my dad was getting his doctorate. There was one girl who could be very nice, but she also had a way of sometimes tying my shoes together. I didn't know how to tie my shoes <sighs> at that point. I learned, I did eventually learn, but. And then there was, but, you know, I really, and there was one, there was one, there were a few instances, but not very often. I really didn't have trouble. The trouble, I felt like, I did feel, though, that there were times I didn't fit in and there were times I was lonely. I think that was more the problem than bullying. Yeah, I I, I can relate to that also. I and felt, uh, you know. Eventually... You know, the, the thing that happened, you know, and then I got in high school and the thing that really helped me was getting into activities like speech and uh, chorus and uh, a couple of different clubs. Mm -hmm. So I always ask this to everyone, what, um, well, I ask it to the parents at least. So Rick, what would you say to someone who's a parent who's maybe deafblind and is considering becoming a parent, what would you say to them? I would say it can be done, you know, think in advance how you're going to do things, how you're going to divide things up as far as what you do. Um, and my, you know, part of my situation is my hearing, although it was not good then, it was a lot better than it became. You know, I had a gradual hearing loss. Like when I was in high grade in high school, the hearing loss was not an issue, but it became more of an issue later. I would say, you know, persevere, work out what needs to be done, and, you know, make sure you can work those things out. You can still give your child a lot of support. You're more likely now than you used to be able to get your kids' books 
you know, like school books, you know, in a, in a format you can use so you can maybe follow along and help. And, and that's always something that I thought was a problem. Yep. Okay. Yeah, I get that. And Marissa, you mm-hmm. are in luck because instead of me asking you your question, I <laughs> am going to get my daughter, Sayer, and she is going to ask you, I don't know what. And so I apologize in advance. So she's it. got her questions. So Michael's gone to get her now and she will be here in just a second. I'm going to hand over the headphones. So I'm not going to be able to hear your response. So like I said, all right, here we go. Give her just a second to switch headphones and it's going to be okay. Sayer again. My apologies if it's required. Here you go. <laughs> Hello. Hi, love. How are you today? I'm wonderful. Happy Friday. Happy Friday to you too. What's it like to be a child of a blind parent in your I case? Think, I think it's pretty cool. Um, I feel like my dad is a genius. My mom is equally of a superwoman. And it just, not a whole lot of people like my folks out there when I was your age, at least. Um, I think it's, it's really cool. I have one more question. What's your favorite type of cookie? <laughs> oh, no, you hit that one. Oh, my gosh. Um, uh, that's a tough one because I absolutely love chocolate. So I'm going to go with the double chocolate chip cookie. Okie dokie. Were you scared about losing your sight? I am. Believe it or not, I am. But I know that it, it, it can happen and I'll be okay. It's, it's going to be difficult. It, it's going to be sometimes sad and sometimes it's going to make me mad and it's going to make me scared. But I have an infinite amount of resources. I have family. I have friends. I'll figure out how to be okay if I lose my vision. I have one more thing I want to tell you. Sure. Have a good day and weekend. Oh, have a lovely weekend. You too. (laughs) Hey, Marissa, thank you. We put her on the spot. I think she was nervous. (laughs) She was a little nervous. And I had told her to be thinking. I had told her to be. She must be hungry to ask about a cookie. She must be Uh hungry. I kind of gathered that. (laughs) My parents taught me to enjoy life. So eat the dessert first. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, we have. Well, we, we were have, always, I was always told growing up, don't eat dessert last, don't spoil your supper. But now I know that to eat dessert first does not spoil my supper. And uh, well, of course, now, well, now my, since Carol has been diagnosed with diabetes, uh, we both, and I need to lose weight, we're not eating nearly the desserts we used to. We have a rule in our house, and that is do not let say or get hungry. Oh, I hear that. (laughs) We we, we get what we call the Sayer monster. So, (laughs) all right, guys, is there anything else that uh, you want to tell any of our listeners? I guess this would be kind of a a broad spectrum thing, but something that I have had to accept over time, and it's taken me years to figure this out. If nothing goes right, go left. (laughs) Whatever left is, go left. (laughs) (laughs) 
That is, that is a good life lesson right there. That's called having resilience. And then and Marissa, you have had a lot of setbacks over the years. I'm not going to go into all that, but we all both know what they have been. And now you're, you did go left and <laughs> now you have a job you love and probably the best, a, some ways it's the best time of your life, I think. It's a dream come true. You know, we also, I think also finding your own space, finding somebody you love and, you know, all those things also formed you. And we recognize that you make your own decisions. We're not going to try to pressure you to make decisions, yet you're not going to make this. We know you're not going to make decisions just because we made the other one. So it, it's, it's where it should be. Yeah. Rebellion is important. So important. <laughs> uh, oh, also, yeah. I mean, it's, everybody. <laughs> it's also. Everybody goes through that rebellious stage in some way, shape or form. Just like every parent has a hard time, you know, letting go of the decision making. <laughs> so I think it's a win-win overall. Oh, good. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. Thank you all so much. I appreciate it. And as Sayer said, have a good Friday and a good weekend. <laughs> Thanks um, for having me. <laughs> bye. Thank you both very much. Thanks to Chris Unkin for our theme music. Thanks to Steve Moore for our providing our transcription. Support comes from the Center for Accessible Living in Louisville, Kentucky. And you can find links to buy the book, A Celebration of Family, Stories of Parents with Disabilities, in our show notes. Thanks, everyone. Say you've seen a change in me Just for once I think I would agree
Spells out 